Welcome to the ICMA Future Leaders FinTech Working Group podcast series on blockchain and capital markets. Tune in to hear the industry's leading experts explore some of the key issues surrounding the use of blockchain technology in capital markets today. Welcome everybody to this ICMA Future Leaders podcast about capital markets and fintech. Today's topic will be about capital markets union and digitalization from a regulatory perspective. The creation of a European capital markets union has been a priority for the European Commission for many years and has become even more imminent after Brexit. Recently, the Commission presented its 2021 CMU package containing new legislative proposals to provide additional impetus for this initiative. Both the French presidency as well as ESMA have listed the CMU as one of its priorities for 2022. At the same time, digitalization is rushing through the financial services industry. To cope with this trend, the Commission has come up with the digital finance package and legislative proposals concerning AI and data. In July of last year, the European Parliament approved a pilot scheme for use of distributed ledger technology, or DLT, in financial markets. In December, the Council and the Parliament reached a consensus on a final proposal for a regulation. In this podcast, we will discuss the status of CMU and the impact of new technologies such as DLT on capital markets in Europe. What are opportunities and risks of using blockchain in our capital markets for market operators and investors? And what is the impact on the EU regulatory framework? We will talk with former Belgian Minister of Finance, Johan van Overtveld, who is currently a member of the European Parliament's Economic Committee and Rapporteur on the proposal for a DLT pilot regime regulation. Welcome, Mr. van Overtveld. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Could you please explain why a European Capital Markets Union, according to you, is, is important for Europe and European business? Uh, we're still in a situation where the European Monetary Union is incomplete from an institutional point of view. And uh, one of the key processes or key elements to make it more complete is finalization first of the banking union. We have gone a long way, but we have still some way to go. And then, of course, also a capital markets union. But the importance of capital markets union is much more than just strengthening the uh, inf institutional infrastructure behind uh, the euro or the monetary union. It is crucial in order to uh, be able to do as a European Union, the member states, the citizens, what is before us. There's a transition towards a more digital, more sustainable uh, economy. There is the need to become somewhat more autonomous in an increasingly complex global economic uh, context. I'm referring to the many uh, supply chain disruptions that we have seen and still see. And then, of course, also the recovery from the COVID-19 crisis and also to make the EU's economy more resilient vis-à-vis uh, -vis that kind of crises of which, unfortunately, we will most probably see others in the future. Uh, a strengthened capital markets union uh, with more integrated and better functioning capital markets would benefit uh, citizens, would benefit investors, would benefit companies, would certainly also benefit governments. Uh, I'm thinking about the uh, very fast increasing government debt that needs to be financed and in the more most efficient and, uh, or should I say, risk-free way. And for that, capital market is very important. But capital market is also very important 
in terms of private enterprise uh, and uh, innovation. Uh, we've seen in the past, certainly in my country, Belgium, but also in other countries, a lot of uh, very promising startups uh, depart from Europe, mainly towards the United States. And I've talked to a lot of these entrepreneurs uh, doing that uh, shift. And the main reason why they did it was capital availability. Uh, we have a lot of money going around in Europe for startups. The problem comes when they start to grow, when they start to finalize their business uh, model, when they really know what they're up to. There's always a finding out process. Then, of course, a few hundred uh, thousand euros are not no longer sufficient, and you often talk millions and even more than a few millions in order to get the business really going. The money is there in the United States. The, 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 the mechanisms to finance that kind of investments are there, and it's imperative uh, in order to be able to do that in Europe and to keep these future champions in Europe, to have a capital markets union and to provide these future champions with the necessary capital. For all those reasons, capital markets union is an absolutely important uh, element uh, with respect to, uh, our, I would even say, our future welfare uh, within the European Union. So I hear you say that access to capital is, is the most important uh, benefit for, for, for startups and scale-ups in Europe. Um, do you believe that a digital solution uh, introduced in the capital markets could be um, enhanced, could enhance the, the integration? Of course, uh, no doubt about that. But that's, of course, uh, more easily said than done. A lot of uh, elements come in. You have uh, 27 members, which is, of course, uh, already quite difficult to manage and to coordinate. And, of course, when you're talking about digital development, one of the things that always strikes me when I discuss this within the European Parliament or with external partners is the, the, the lack of attention or the lack of sufficient attention for cybersecurity. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a sure thing that as things go now, we will be faced with major, with major cyber insecurity in the coming period. And uh, I'm totally uh, in favor of and supportive of digital development, new digital development, but please let us also not forget that when doing that, we need to take very carefully into account elements of cybersecurity. Point noted. With Brexit, one of the biggest financial services centers has left the block. Does this event make the need to digitalize our financial markets and, and integrate further even more urgent in order to keep competitive in, in a global world vis-a-vis -vis the United States and so forth? Certainly very important to have this digital development. But of course, if we want to do what London offers as a financial center, there will be much more needed. There's a whole biosphere, if I may refer to that kind of situation, with legal services and other services that all need to be there and that need to be there in a rather centralized way so that people don't have to start running around the whole EU uh, before getting what they needed as a global package. That's, of course, a hell of a job because also with respect to that, London was not built in one day or one month or one year. Uh, but of course, if we really want to have these services within the EU, we should uh, not uh, wait too long 
to start this process and to make it into a success. So I think that there is a sense of urgency in Europe. And, and with that, the Commission has presented several legislative proposals to revamp the CMU projects, such as European Single Access Point or a consolidated tape uh, recently in the, the CMU package. What is your opinion on these proposals? Are they evolving in a, in a good way or is it just too little and a bit too late maybe? Well, I'm certainly, uh, it, it shouldn't be a surprise, given what I said before, that I'm in favor of what the Commission has, has come up with. Uh, there are a lot of good elements in it. And of course, as always, with this kind of uh, development within the European Union, you need to wait for what happens through the whole process when uh, the, the Council enters into the discussion, when the European Parliament enters into the discussion, when a consensus needs to be found, then of course a lot of good things can happen, but also a lot of uh, less good things can happen. Uh, but uh, you already referred yourself to the so-called uh, consolidated tape item. You already also referred to the single access point. I think these are two of the elements that are certainly very attractive in what the Commission has proposed. And as far as I'm concerned, we should not wait too long to take this uh, into the hands as legislators together with the Council and to build a consensus on the basis of these Commission ideas, which I really think are very interesting, very promising, and shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't wait too long to get them into the reality. So another legislative initiative is the, the DLT pilot regime which has been agreed in, in trilogue between the Parliament and the Council in December of last year. Can you shortly explain what, what is DLT pilot regime about? What can we expect of it? Well, it's uh, as you know, it's, uh, it's a temporary mechanism to, to try to promote the use of this kind of technology in the financial, financial sphere. And I think there's a lot for it uh, going. It can reduce complexity. It can, I mean, this DLT technology and everything related to it, it can reduce complexity. It will certainly improve processing speed. It will uh, strengthen network resilience and network security. And it is clear that if properly installed and used, that there is a reduced risk in terms of operational and financial issues. And for all these elements, I think this pilot regime, which as the term says, is a pilot regime, is something very important. The, the DLT pilot regime is, is welcomed by the community greatly because I, I've heard some, some voices, uh, some experts even uh, describe it as a quantum leap for policymakers because of the, the fact that it's such an exceptional thing to have uh, exceptions on, uh, on EU legislation as it is in place right now. But of course, as you say, it is, uh, of course, a consensus between the parliament and the council, the council com composed of 27 uh, member states. What is your, your feeling? Do, does it have the, the potential to really change things in, in, in Europe or is it still a, a European solution? The intentions are good, but it could have been more. It should have been more. Well, uh, whenever you get in the kind of negotiations as the famous trilogues within the European context are, you always uh, end up with a compromise between, for example, people emphasizing uh, innovation, new techniques, productivity, enhancing uh, methods and, and, and technologies. And on the other hand, people who are much more focused on, for example, financial stability, security, no risk. Uh, I myself am, am somewhere in between those. I think all these elements are important and you need to find a compromise 
And that's why I, as a rapporteur on DLT, I was so enthusiastic about this compromise because I think it's, it exactly achieves that. It allows to roll out a new technology to apply it, to work further on it. And on the other hand, uh, especially given the input the parliament has brought to the table during the negotiations, we succeeded in bringing in elements of financial stability uh, on different levels so that we get uh, really a good equilibrium between, on the one hand, the stimulation of technological development and, and innovation, and on the other hand, taking care of financial stability, which of course, in our um, hyper-nervous financial reality that we have to live in day to day uh, is, is a very important thing. Uh, I'm one of the people who lived very actively through the 2008 financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I tend to be somewhat more uh, on the side of financial stability, although I fully recognize that uh, technolo technological development and advancement are really very, very important. So uh, critical forces are concerned about the impact on, on investor protection, which is a topic that has been the centerpiece of, of previous EU capital markets legislation, such as MIFID. Do we share that concern? Can our high level of protection be maintained in a more digital and automated market structure, such as DLT? Again, I should uh, remind you that uh, so far, the DLT pilot regime is a limited testing environment. One of the issues to be tested is indeed whether the same level of protection can be maintained uh, in a token-based environment, DLT, than in a more uh, traditional uh, financial environment. That being said, the, while the DLT market infrastructures will thus be exempt from certain rules of financial service regulation, that's certainly the case, the Parliament negotiating team has put much effort in assuring that they should have uh, in place adequate safeguards to ensure effective protection of investors related to the use of DLT. After a certain time period, there will be an evaluation by the Commission, amongst others, on the basis of an advice of ESMA. And of course, if on these points we would uh, discover, or it would be discovered, that things are not all working as they should, then, of course, I will be the first to uh, plead for adjustments and changes to the infrastructure. But I think in, in this kind of situation, with this kind of development, you cannot be risk-free. There's always a risk of something happening. Uh, there are always things unforeseen happening, and uh, we tried to limit the possibilities of that kind of unfortunate situations happening for investors. But you, if you try to limit everything, you won't have anything left as, as a new mechanism. So it, again, it's a question of equilibrium, where I think we, all, we also, and we is the Commission, the Council and the Parliament, uh, finally achieved a rather good uh, equilibrium between the different considerations. But uh, maybe in a few years' time, I have to come back on these words and, and have to admit that uh, we missed essential points. I don't think we have, but let's be open and honest and transparent with respect to the future and do these controls and these verifications in a really thorough and serious way. You have stressed uh, that it is a pilot regime, so it's temporary by nature um, and will be evaluated in, in a couple of years based on an advice of ESMA. But does the parliament uh, have, have an idea of what are the parameters to, to measure its success? When are we 
content to say with, with what uh, the pilot regime has, has, has brought forward because new entrants, uh, I believe it's, it's a possibility that new entrants, market operators could, could enter the market and they should invest probably in new infrastructure. Could that be a deterrent to, to have that uncertainty what will happen after the pilot regime? No, but I think uh, everybody that invests in, in this DLT regime is aware of that, uh, the fact that this is happening in a world that is changing constantly, uh, that there will be an evaluation, uh, that, of course, everything points to the continuation of this kind of regime in a broader context and in a, in, in a less limited way than it is now. Uh, so uh, I think investors are aware of that, calculate in their investment the risk of changes that will come, hopefully limited, but you never know, to the whole uh, infrastructure. But I'm quite sure that this kind of infrastructure is here to stay. And I can't imagine that the result of such an evaluation, you never know, but I can't imagine that the result of such an evaluation would be that we throw it all on the dustbin and that we forget about this whole technology and the application of it for concrete economic and financial situations. But again, somebody who wants to do an investment that is uh, risk-free or, or close to risk-free is probably not investing in DLT technology, is probably investing in something else. And I think uh, all the people investing in it, and I, we see a lot of interest in, in this uh, regime and in this uh, this infrastructure are well aware of the risks that they are running. Uh, the only thing we can do and we, we are effect effectively doing is that we guarantee that there is an infrastructure as defined now, will be working for three years, and then there will be an evaluation of which to one extent or the other, participants will of course be uh, part of the evaluation. It, it, uh, it will be a concrete practical evaluation and not something that is hanging up in the air. And so everybody will be, uh, by the time we run through these three years, will be well aware of the strengths and also of the weaknesses and certainly of the points that needs reparation in order to have uh, a smoothly and, and safely functioning uh, system. Last year, and, and the, there have been some examples of bond issuances in Europe based on, on DLT, such as the EIB and, and Banque de France. Have these been examples for the legislation as it is right now, or is that totally different? Of course, uh, we looked into that, uh, what, what the way in which that was done and, and the, the response of the market to it. We talked to the people of the EIB and the Banque de France in order to hear from their experience and, to, and especially to learn from their experience. Mm -hmm. And that has certainly been helpful in lining out the whole regime as it is on the table now. So we certainly uh, learned from these early experiences uh, from the EIB and the Banque de France, yes, certainly. Yep. Do you have some examples? Well, I think one of the things we learned is about the thresholds, mm -hmm. the thresholds that be respected, because that's, of course, can work both ways in terms of uh, thinking about it. Uh, but uh, we learned that we needed to adjust these uh, thresholds in a sufficient way to allow the broadest possible uh, participation again, in a safe and transparent way. That's certainly one of the things we learned from that experience. 
another much debated topic um, in financial markets today is, is central bank digital currency. At the moment, uh, ECB is conducting a study on, on the introduction of, of a digital euro. What is your opinion on this study and what do you expect of, of digital euro in the framework of uh, digital financial markets? Well, I've been listening very carefully to executive board member Panata when he was here in the parliament and speaking about central bank cryptocurrency or euro currency. I, I think there's much focus on the retail side of the whole issue and much less on the wholesale context of the whole issue of central bank digital currency. And I think if this would be the, or should I say, the final push of the European Central Bank in terms of digital currency, then I think we're on the wrong track. I think there should be much more attention to the wholesale context of this uh, uh, digital currency. And of course, we're in the year 2022. Digital currencies are have become part of uh, our uh, environment. I think we're learning with the cryptocurrencies that... Uh, uh, we need to do something on those issues. Uh, I think there's a lot going wrong in the cryptocurrency stratosphere, uh, if you allow me that word. And central banks certainly need to step in with uh, digital currencies. It has to be framed and organized in the proper way. And I think as far as I can see now, or what I can deduce from what I hear from people of the ECB, is that uh, more focus should be on the wholesale side of this uh, item than on the retail side. I'm not saying that the retail is unimportant, I'm not at all, but there is seems to be a, a little bit under, under consideration of the importance of the wholesale uh, market or the wholesale uh, context. Finally, last week we celebrated the 20th anniversary of the euro, the single currency, and in the past you've been quite skeptical about its chances on long-term survival. What is your evaluation of the past 20 years? Did the single currency live up to expectations? And what do you see happening in the future to, to the euro and the, the role of the euro in, in the world? Well, on, the, on my book issue, The End of the Euro, I discussed it with some friends over the weekend because they also threw it at my, uh, not at my head, but uh, in, in my lap. If I would write the book today, uh, there's only one thing I would change. And that is the one thing that I underestimated when I wrote the book was the degree of political capital invested in the project, political capital. The other elements of what I argued in the 2011 or 12 book uh, are for me, have not much changed. There is still a very incomplete institutional infrastructure. And if, if you look at history and even in our hypermodern uh, 2022 world, there are still important lessons to be learned from history. You never saw a monetary union succeed in history without a political union, so that you have full unity in terms of policy making. We don't have that, far from it. And so my, my basic point, the euro is, of course, a step forward. It's important for the, the one market we have in Europe. Uh, it's much more easier to do financial transactions, investment transactions, etc., etc. But we still are living, I'm not saying on a volcano, but on, on a potentially explosive situation because this institutional infrastructure uh, is incomplete. In order to have a secure monetary union with its own currency, like, for example, the United States, uh, you need to have a political union. 
And that is, of course, very difficult to achieve today in, in, uh, within the EU or even among a limited number of uh, members. But until then, the situation remains uncertain. And we will now have a new try at uh, redefining the growth and stability pact and what can be done in terms or not done in terms of budget deficits, debt development, uh, structural reforms, uh, uh, and all that uh, kind of stuff. But it's second best or even third best. And we certainly can improve on what the Growth and Stability Pact until now uh, prescribed. But it, it will always be at best, second best. Now, with respect to the role of the euro, I think uh, there's a kind of currency dance going on between handicapped currencies. US dollar is handicapped. Economically, the US is in decline. The political problems of the United States are quite considerable, uh, but still the dollar remains by far the dominant currency, which is a little bit surprising given the many economic and political and social problems that the United States is faced with. Of course, the renminbi is a, is a potential runner-up, but if you look carefully at what China is doing, the, the country is, in terms of economics and finance, turning inside more than it was two years or five years ago. Their geopolitical ambitions, they are very international, but their economic and financial ambitions are more and more uh, oriented towards their internal market, their internal financial possibilities. And so the renminbi as a real runner-up to the dollar in terms of the international environment is also not really a candidate or, 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 or a fully grown candidate. And then we have the euro, which is, of course, also an important currency, but also not fully grown, given what I said earlier. Where that eventually will lead to is very hard to say, especially given the, the extremely volatile geopolitical worldwide situation that we have today. Uh, I don't have to talk about Ukraine and, and Russia and, and the antagonism between Russia, the EU, the United States. I don't have to talk about the uh, uh, even, according to me, more volatile situation in, in the South Chinese Sea and, and the Pacific in general. Uh, where you have the presence of the United States, where you have Japan and Australia doing a deal or an agreement on uh, mutual assistance in terms of uh, military uh, capacity, where you have countries like India, Vietnam, the Philippines, Indonesia, all major countries with major mil military power. You have the problem of Taiwan, which is, of course, a huge uh, problem all the time. So... Things will change in this, uh, on this geopolitical chessboard, but in what direction and with what result, finally, is very hard to say. Actually, you can only speculate about it, but that uh, if things happen and if there would be major outbursts of conflict, that, of course, will, in the shortest of terms, have implications on economic and financial developments, and per definition, then, also on what happens to the relative strength or attractiveness of certain currencies in the plus and in the min side. Interesting times and a lot of work to be done, I take away from, from this conversation. So uh, thank you very much for your insights and, and a very interesting discussion. And uh, good luck with the rollout of the DLT pilot regime. Thank you for having me and uh, all the best. Thank you for listening. 
For further episodes in the ICMA Future Leaders FinTech Working Group's Blockchain and Capital Markets podcast series, search ICMA Podcast on all major podcast providers or visit the media library on the ICMA website.